0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four hundred and five of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writers Centre, where you'll find a wonderfully supportive writing community and some wonderful writing courses. I'm here with Alison Tate, author extraordinaire, also known as A. L. Tate, (laughs) author of Sorry. Did you hear my indrawn breath? (laughs)
1: Extraordinaire.
0: I had a moment there. That's it's good. New I like it. <laughs> her latest I'm gonna book take is <laughs> her latest book is the Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. How are you? Al? I'm extraordinary.
1: <laughs> can you be extraordinary? I don't know if yeah, that's well, a thing you can be, but yeah. you know.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> yes. I look. I'm. I'm excited. It's been too long. I feel like it's I been know. decades since we last spoke. And. If you've been following the saga (laughs) of Val in the Facebook community, uh, you'll know that it's, you know, I have to say, I can't remember who it was, but someone made the comment that this is an incredibly Australian podcast and now we even have the Telstra whinge to prove it. um, Just made me laugh so much. It's so true. We're not going to bore people with that though, are we?
0: No, but I will say that, um, you know, we, Alison and I really do our level best to try and bring you this podcast on time, all the time, but sometimes there are things out of our control, such as Telstra, who do not connect to internet.
1: (laughs) Um, Are we going to, are you literally, are we just going, are we going to go there? Are we just going to diss them on our
0: podcast for international... I'm not dissing them. I'm just stating fact. I'm not dissing them. You are. Um, You're right. So, I, and I'm going to move into a positive direction and say I do now have internet thanks to Aussie Broadband. And I'm not getting paid to say this, but they were such a pleasure to deal with and so easy to connect the internet, Aussie Broadband, like not sponsored. Um, but that is why we are able to bring you this podcast today. Right there. And we're glad to be back, aren't we, out? Oh, so happy to be back. I've missed
1: you. I've had so many things to discuss. <laughs> There's been so, so much many to things. talk about. So and, many and, things. And, you know, we've been stymied because without yes. our, without the uh, broadband, we clearly just can't speak to each other ever. We've been texting, exactly. but it's not the same.
0: Not the same. But before we get on to the things that we need to catch up on, we want to give a big shout-out to Kay, the initial Kay, who left us a five-star review and said, Great advice and entertaining. Now, Kay's message is, I'm 14 years old and love writing. So stumbling upon this podcast was a great blessing. I'm interested in publishing my work, so listening to interviews with the writing community and minisodes are super helpful when I have writer's block or I am feeling drained. Val and Al are the best podcasting duo and are so cheerful and energetic with every episode. If I ever publish my novel, I definitely want to meet them and tell them how much they have informed me and taken my writing career to the next level. Thank you both for continuing to inspire and advise me on tips and writing tools. Much love, Kay. Wow. Oh, Kay, you,
1: I, honestly, Kay, oh. can I just say that you have made my absolute day and I am Mate. going to print your review and yes. I am going to laminate it and I am going to give it to both of my children Yes, where this bit where you say cheerful, energetic, helpful, informative, <laughs> we I'm going to say, look, other people, other teenagers think that I know what I'm talking about.
0: Yes, love oh, we're your so work. thrilled, absolutely we are. thrilled, Kay. And you know what? We don't usually do this, but we love the fact that you are enjoying the podcast, and we love the fact that you took the time to give us this feedback and to leave us a review. And so, what I'd like you to do, Kay, if you're listening, is email us at courses at writercenter.com.au. That's courses at writerscenter.com.au and we and mention that you are writing because I've asked you to because I want to we want to Al and I want to send you a special little something. Ooh, it's gonna be a little surprise do. from Val a and Al. Oh but a little um, gift. Look we'll at need you we're branching
1: out. Yeah, we're sending right. random gifts
0: <laughs> <laughs> And you get a car and you get a car and you get a
1: car. We're going to be like the writer fairies. I like it.
0: <laughs> but we'll need your address, Kay. So email us uh, at that address, and um, we and await oh, your surprise. All right, let's move on to the world of writing and publishing. What have we got, Al? What's happening? Look, what, what are you catching us up on? What? Because I know you're going to a writers' festival coming up very soon, aren't you?
1: I well I am. Look, I've got so much. I've been so busy. Like while you've been wrestling with your broadband, I've been yes. over here just like just doing stuff. You know how I do, yes. our stuff. Mm. And so I've been super busy. So I am I'm off to the Capricorn Coast Writers Festival cool. in June. I think it's the 11th. Gosh, would be good if I knew the dates, wouldn't it? Um, I think it's the 11th to the 13th of June or maybe it's the 13th. Yeah, no, I think it's the 11th to the 13th. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> and it is in Yapoon in Queensland and I am heading up there to do several events. I'm doing a um, – I'm doing a panel. With the wonderful Anita Heiss and Kat Appel, who writes uh, verse novels about crafting stories for children, I'm doing a workshop for kids, uh, unlocking the story code, the ten keys to writing a great story, and I'm also doing a brand new two-hour workshop for adults called Dun 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 so you want to be a children's author? I'm just Yay! extending. I'm extending our brand. What can I Why say? Why um, I'm working on that at the moment, and I've come up with the top ten questions uh, that people ask me all the time about writing for kids, uh, and I will be answering those in this workshop, and of course, answering a whole bunch of uh, any questions in the room as well. And I put a little call out in the Facebook group uh, earlier in the week to just just to ask people what their number one question was because I wanted to double check that that the 10 that I had were the keys to Mm. the whole mess and I was very excited to see that I was totally on the right track. So it seems like, you know, I do know what questions people ask me so that's really good, right? I'm obviously... <laughs> Obviously, developing as a presenter, it's excellent. Um, so, yeah, if you're in the area or you know you feel like a little holiday in your poon then please come see me. I would love to see you there, um, and you can be the first to experience my brand new "So You Want to Be a Children's Author" workshop. Uh, so, if you want to find out more about that, the website is Capricorn Coast Writers Festival um, and I know that they will have the correct dates right there, and we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, <laughs> you know.
0: And- what i love though about this this festival because it is and it is called the capricorn cap the capricorn, capricorn coast, coast writers, writers festival. festival is that it is a true writers festival when you look at the program and you look at the topics and the panels and the talks they really are for writers because there are a lot of writers festivals these days that are kind of misnomers, they actually should be called readers' festivals Mm, because there's lots of writers writers there but the actual talks are not really specific to writers. But this is a true writers' festival. Mm, It's very, very practical topics, very practical panels. Um, You know, there's things like writers on riveting research, so what does an editor do, the rise of indie publishing, um, how to be a copywriter. It's all really, really um, good practical stuff for writers. So, yeah, if you are in the Yapoon area, I think this is a really great festival.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to catching up with a whole bunch of my mm. writing buddies. Rachel Johns is going to be there, and I haven't seen her mm. for a long time, so it's going to be it's going to be fun. I'm, you know, it's I'd like it's just good to get out of the house as well. Let's face it, <laughs> for me, it is anyway. Um, so I'm doing that. The other thing that I've been doing, and this is very exciting, and I've been all over my social media with this, so you know, yes. excuse me if you've already seen all this. Um, but the my new podcast was launched, Your Kids Next Read. Very week. exciting. Uh, it is exciting. Uh, it's a new podcast I'm doing with the fabulous Megan Daly. And we, look, we've had such fun and it's been so well received. I'm so excited by how well it's been received. We made the top arts podcast list for Apple in our first Fantastic. week.
0: Fantastic.
1: I know. It was just like, I was so chuffed because I felt like this was something that felt like the right thing to do. Um, mm. You know, I think we've talked about how, you know, we randomly do things that we feel like are the right things to do and then hope they work out. Yeah. Um, and it felt like the right thing to do and it really has, I think, been uh, embraced, which is brilliant. And so we're very excited about that and it seems to be all, you know, chuffing along nicely and we're working on, you know, obviously there'll be – we're aiming for weekly but, like, really we with the kind of schedules that we both have, it – It might be a bit all over the place at times, but we're aiming for weekly and um, very much looking forward uh, to to that going forward. There's five episodes at the moment uh, to be binged. Uh, it's called the Your Kids Next Read podcast. You can find out all about it at your. Look at this, I've even got a URL: yourkidsnextread Go and have a look. All the show notes are there, the episodes. Um, and you know, if you're you know interested in books for kids in any way, shape, or form, as a as a writer, as a um, parent, as an aunt, as a you know mm. bookseller, librarian, whatever you might be, um, I think that it's um, it's one that you'll really like. So. That's that's happened, so that's been great. And the other wow. things, I told you, I've been busy. More, Thanks.
0: wow, See, okay. There's more yes.
1: other things. Um, I am just putting the finishing touches this very day to the uh, proofread of the Wolf's Howl, which oh. is the second in the Maven and Reeve mystery series. Cannot um, wait. I know it's so exciting, and so that's you know then that's and that's my this is my final go, and then it goes off to print. And I've seen the full cover, like um, you know, with the wraparound and the blurb on the Love back it. and the whole bit, and it's just gorgeous. I'm, yeah. I'm so excited. The covers are so beautiful, um, mm. and so um, I'm really, you know, hoping that that uh, everyone embraces this second uh, Maven and Reese. mystery. Now, wins it out? It comes out on the 3rd of August, 2021. I'll put a link in the to show notes. We wait
0: until the 3rd of August, hour. I know. Oh. Well, look,
1: I've read it so many times now. I just feel like everyone's read it, but of course you haven't. Um, <laughs> but, yes, it's on the 3rd of August. I'll put a link in the show notes, which has got more information, and also if you're in Australia, you can pre-order. And, you know, please pre-order. It makes a huge difference to how yes. a book you know, comes, how that first week goes. Uh, it would be so much appreciated. So if you're, you know, in the market for a Maven and Reeve mystery, get out there mm. and uh, pre-order that. And also, you know, buy the first book, the Star. That, that was my sales pitch. What, what did you think?
0: <laughs> well done. Well, you definitely have been very, very busy. I have um, been very busy. So I just wanted to share a link that uh, some people may have seen. It was in the Sydney Morning Herald and it is called The 21 Top Tips for Becoming a Best-Selling Author. Now, if you want to be a best-selling author, you probably need to do a little bit more than just read this, <laughs> read this article. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, you think? <laughs> Surely if I read this, this
1: is all I have to do, right?
0: <laughs> but there are some uh, useful tips in there um, that uh, that I think some people, I don't know, take for granted or don't think about or whatever. Um, And one is know the industry. So important because we often think that we just need to write a fabulous book, write in isolation. I can already think of, you know, some aspiring authors I know of who are doing that. And who don't bother to kind of have an understanding of what's going on in the publishing industry, um, of the kinds of trends that are that are happening, and so knowing your industry isn't just about you know uh, you, you don't have to be in the industry to know the industry. It is reading about the industry. It's it's following people on social media who are perhaps in the literary world or who are interested in the literary world, it's listening to podcasts like this, it's going to book events because you can have a chance meeting with a publisher or with mm-hmm. an agent or something mm-hmm. like that. So go to book launches because there's a extremely high chance that a publisher or an agent or both are going to be at the book launch of the book that they've just, you know, broken and 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 organized right go to literary festivals and immerse yourself because it is through understanding the industry and the connections you make from the industry that just fast track you a little bit and I just think that that's so important don't you think Al
1: oh absolutely like it's it's um I think it's like anything I, I um You wouldn't buy a car without doing a whole heap of research on what the Mm -hmm. best car would be, you know, what would suit your needs, what's going to be great for your bits and pieces and it's to me – choosing to write a book it's not quite like buying a car but you can't you can't write a book in isolation you have to have an understanding of where your book might fit in the wider world of publishing and the best way to do that is to research the wider world of publishing and as you say there's so many different ways that you can go about it there's so much information out there now like Google is your best friend because Mm -hmm. the information is there um And it will give you at least give you start to give you ideas of, you know, where is your closest writers' festival? Like where can you go? Talk to people. Um, Like in our uh, podcast community, the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community, there's you know, people are asking and answering questions all the time and that's the kind of thing you need to do. You need to get in there and Mm -hmm. you need to soak up the information that is available to you. And I think that that's um, really important. And I think it's also really important to, like, yes, you are special, you are writing a book, and yes, your book is special, absolutely, but your book also has to fit into that wider framework and it has to fit into the wider things and you need to re- to recognise that when people are telling you stuff in those groups or if, pe- if that general advice keeps coming up over and over and over again, you can't ignore it because your book is special. You have mm. to think about how it might relate to your special book.
0: Absolutely. Another one that is, I think, really, really useful is lurk in bookshops. Now, you might think that that sounds a bit creepy, um, but basically this uh, article says, there is a lot you can learn from studying the books on the shelves, talking to booksellers and overhearing conversations. Browse. And I think that that is so very important. And one of the things, because my favorite bookshop, my local bookshop um, also has a cafe and so you are. You can order your tea or your coffee, and or often the cake as well. Um, and sit there, the cake, and yeah. yes, and sit there, and overhear the conversations. And it is fascinating to see what people say they like and what they don't like, or the things that you see people rush for or, or grab, you know, and and buy without even reading the blur because the cover has you know appealed to them so much. Um, it's absolutely fascinating. So if you Find it a bit creepy just to hang around and standing around a a bookshop. Find one with a cafe. (laughs) Absolutely. But also, also, like this is one of the reasons that
1: I started the Your Kids Next Read Facebook group Mm. because it allows you to do that without actually having to lurk in a bookshop because you can see what readers are talking about, what parents are talking about, what booksellers are talking about. You can see the books that just bubble up out of absolutely nowhere and go gangbusters because somebody has decided, like, and it sort of seems to come out of the ether and suddenly Mm. every parent in that group is talking about that book. Like the word of mouth aspect of books and reading and book selling, you can never underestimate it. Um, So that group, I have your own next read. And the reason I did them was to bring readers together and Mm. as a writer, they're invaluable because you can see the kinds of themes that people are talking about. You can see the covers they love. You can see the books that they're recommending because someone says, I want to buy my husband who doesn't read very much a book for whatever. What do you recommend? And suddenly there's 20 books that people are recommending for the husband that doesn't read. And you start to think about, well, what's, what's tying those books together? Why are those Mm -hmm. books are the ones, you know, being recommended? And I think it's, it's, it's worth, and as a writer, it's really important to remember that in those groups, you're there as a visitor, like you're there as a reader mm. and you're there as a visitor. You need to really be respectful of, of those sorts of things and you need to soak up that information without necessarily like inserting your own book into it. Um, but it's it's kind of, it's really worth having a look at why people talk about book, particular books.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Another one that I think is so important is don't send it out too soon oh my goodness the number of people who do this and the number of people who tell me yeah it's still my first draft and I I know it's a lot of work but I sent it to the publisher anyway oh my god if you know that there's a lot of work you're not be sending it to the publisher because that is the impression that you're, you're giving they are expecting your best quality and if you're sending them you know 10 percent quality or 30 percent quality uh, of what it should be this is just a big mistake don't be too okay. impatient
1: okay but i'm going to ask you a question here because yes. this is a question when i asked in my in my call out in so you want to be a writer for you know your top 10 questions about becoming a children's author this yes. is for any any author one of the questions that that was asked and seconded and thirded and all sorts of things was um let me just find it how do i know when my manuscript is ready to be submitted to publishers mm. salary mm. how do i know mm. it's ready
0: yeah that is because a very you good don't question.
1: also want to hang on to it forever and overwork yes. it and you know you don't want that either so how do you know it's ready at what point so, can you go this is ready to go
0: so absolutely valid question and I will answer that in one second but I will say that that they, they're not the people I'm referring to, the people no, I'm I know referring that. to, you know. You're, you're referring who... to
1: the one drafters. I get that, oh, yeah. Oh, just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, so not if, okay, put it this way, if it's your first draft, it's not definitely not ready. Yeah. So let's get that out of the way. But yes. now But then at what point, how do we do the next bit?
0: Feedback, definitely yeah. feedback. So you have your beta readers and... Yep you know, you need to seek them out. Don't think that you, oh, don't think you're special and you could go without beta readers, get mm. your beta readers and get their feedback because they will give you an indication of whether it's just, it, it, you know, it's only 10% to go or whether you've got, you know, 80% to go kind of thing. You can still also go to a professional, you know, manuscript assessor, but if you haven't even done the beta readers yet, I would definitely go with your beta readers. And remember that if, if you've got 10% to go, happy days. If you've got 80% of, to go, you may need to do your beta readers again or get a fresh set of beta readers in case the first ones, you know, <laughs> don't want to do it or whatever or, or mm. if they think it's not fresh to them, you know what I mean. Mm. So um, there's no hard and fast rule because everyone is different. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But definitely no, your first step is your beta feedback, readers. That's good feedback. That's good advice and you definitely do need
1: feedback, like as you say. And if if you know, from this is where like a writer's group of some kind always comes, in, you know, in handy as well mm. um, because you can get feedback as to where other people in your group feel your manuscript is at, like whether they think it's ready as well. Um, but, you know, you're generally speaking, you're looking at at least, you know, I reckon at least two or three drafts before you can even start thinking about it,
0: don't you think? Before you be Now, and you said the right words before you can even start thinking about it yeah particularly on your
1: first with your first ever submission you want to make sure that it's that it's as you know it's where it can be as best it can be it took me several like I don't know how many did we talk we've discussed this before it took me like writing three two three four no more four oh gosh I can't even remember now but like Many full ninety thousand word manuscripts before mm-hmm. I got to the point where the first children's book that I wrote was, um, you know, good in a couple of drafts. Like it, it mm-hmm. I, I wrote a lot of I wrote a lot of words before I got to that point. Yeah, not everyone's going to do that. Like not everyone's, you know, a slow learner like I am. But nonetheless, <laughs> it takes it, it takes a few goes. And most people will tell you that the first manuscript that they ever wrote is still in a drawer. Most people, yes. not all. There's always the one who wrote a first draft of one manuscript and got a huge <laughs> publishing deal. I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about <laughs> most of us plebs are going to have to write a few before we get to the point where we know what we're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we will put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's worth having a look at it. It's from the Sydney Morning Herald, the 21 top tips for becoming a bestselling author. So let's move on to Mm -hmm. our competition this week. We have 10 double passes to Lapsis, L-A-P-S-I-S. Almost sounds like the word of the week, but no. Um, And it's It's in cinemas. We weren't just going (laughs) to do the two things together. (laughs) No. It's in cinemas the 3rd of June. In bringing this film to life, writer-director Noah Hutton's intricate world-building and storytelling are masterful, and Dean Imperial's performance as Ray is a revelation. Set in an alternative New York, the quantum computing revolution has begun, and investors are lining their pockets. However... Building the cable sorry, building the network requires miles of infrastructure to be laid against huge magnetic cubes by cablers, a group of unprotected gig workers who have to compete against robots to pull wires over rough terrain. Delivery man Ray is both skeptical and suspicious of this new technology. However, to support himself and his ailing younger brother, he scores a shady permit and starts. Cabling, hoping to finally change his fortunes. What he doesn't expect is to be pulled into a conspiracy involving hostile fellow cablers, corporate greed, and the mystery surrounding someone called Lapsus Beef Tech, who may have previously owned his permit. Hailed as a smart, class conscious, sci fi parable, Lapsus provides a darkly comic, original, and timely perspective of the gig economy and the failed utopian promises of big tech. Whew. Okay. I feel like
1: I just watched that film in real oh, time. <laughs> listening to
0: you oh, give it Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow, where's the elevator pitch, babe? Oh, okay, so if you want your opportunity to win Ten, one one of 10 double passes, uh, just go to writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 31st of May. That's au slash win. After all of that, I need to take a breath before I say, hey, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? Oh,
1: gosh, you know, I've had a break. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's made me more ready
0: or less ready. More ready in anticipation.
1: All right, I'm ready.
0: Do you know this? Okay, ape hangers, as in ape, A-P-E, and then new word, so it's kind of two two words of the week, hangers, like the hangers you'd put in your wardrobe, ape hangers. No. Okay. So this is a real word or a real two words really, and... Yes, it does appear in the Macquarie Dictionary, which is my rule. It's the name given to motorcycle or bicycle handlebars that are so curved that the handles are above the level of the rider's shoulders. Mm. Uh huh. So you know, like like those. I know and what those, they are. Yeah, like things? it's interesting though
1: because back in the day when I was yeah. a cadet. I worked uh-huh. for the publishing company that published Live to Ride magazine, which was like oh. the biking magazine, and Two Wheels magazine, which was the oh, yes. motorcycling magazine of choice at the time. And I don't know that they used that phrase. I think, they, I think they had a different one for it. But anyway, I'm happy to let you have it if it's in the Macquarie. <laughs>
0: it's
1: very kind yes. to me, isn't
0: it? You're so kind. Mm. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, eight hangers. I like mm-hmm. it. Um, and that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you
2: personal feedback each week. Here's what Astrid Schultz says. I'd always loved writing, but it had taken a bit of a backseat while I was working in film and pursuing my career and i tried a few times to to write a different story but i usually would get stuck around 20 to twenty-five thousand words and i didn't know or have the tools to kind of continue with that process to see the manuscript through so that's what really led me to looking at a course to push through to the end so the first course that i signed up was for creative writing stage one It was just a great starting point of Acknowledging that this was something I wanted to take seriously. It was something that I was investing my time into. The things I found most useful about Creative Writing One was actually being in a classroom environment with other people who had the same desires and aspirations to be published as I did. So it also gave me a wonderful network. It was just this really wonderful time where you know you set aside certain hours a week and you would go into this very supportive environment and learn about something that you're extremely passionate about. So you get to keep that community alive through the Facebook groups to have to support you through your writing career. I enrolled in several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and each one gave me some sort of knowledge or skill or advice that I didn't know about whatever the topic was, whether it was creative writing in general, how to write a novel, how to write history, mystery or magic. And it really kind of gave me this general understanding and base for going out into the world with my manuscripts and hoping to get published. I did envision myself being a published author ever since I was a young kid. I'm so excited to say that I am a published author.
0: If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right, so let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Al, who have we got? Well, we've got the very great pleasure of speaking to, and
1: I'm going to call her Angela Slater here because that's her, how her she told me her grandmother likes to say it, um, mm-hmm. but other people might probably say Angela Slatter, which is S-L-A-T-T-E-R. And she is uh, not only a you know, fabulous fantasy and particularly mm. um, known for her short story writing, but yes. she also is a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre. And I had um, the great pleasure of talking to her about her latest novel, which is called All the Murmuring Bones, mm. and which, uh, as you'll hear as our conversation unfolds, is this incredibly gothic, creepy kind of fantasy thing but just gosh she's a beautiful writer oh so Mm. beautiful um and then we also had a really good chat about short stories and short story collections and I know that that is a question that came up for us recently somewhere along the way about uh, maybe it was in our 400th episode about um you know how do you get short story collections published well listen to this one because Angela and I had a very long conversation about it so I hope you guys enjoy it Angela Slater is the award winning author of the Verity Fassbender Supernatural Crime Novels, 10 short story collections, and two novellas. Her latest novel, All the Murmuring Bones, a Gothic Fantasy, is out now through Titan Books, with a second Gothic Fantasy, Morewood, to follow next year. Angela has won a World Fantasy Award, a British Fantasy Award, one Ditmar Award, and six Orialis Awards. She teaches creative writing at the Australian Writers' Centre. Welcome to the program. Angela.
3: Thank you so much for having me Alison on this wet day.
1: It's pretty exciting to have you here actually because you know like you've got quite the hall of awards there but um, let's go all the way back to the beginning and let talk me through your road to publication. How did you come to be a published author? Oh
3: gosh, uh, a long and winding road. Um, I, I'd always been a scribbler. I'd always you know, liked writing stories, but it wasn't until I was sort of in my, my late 30s and working in Sydney that I just decided to bite the bullet and that this is what I wanted to do full time. So I wanted to give it a, a go. Um, what were you doing way-
1: up to that date? I
3: had been doing a lot of things with uh, university admin and uh, project management, and at that time I was working at the Australian Graduate School of Management, uh, managing the uh, full-time MBA program.
1: Um,
3: So yes, so a lot of a lot of admin and that that sort of thing, mostly around university um, universities, Um, and. I had a cousin ring and say, "Look, we bought a place at Mapleton, which is up on the Gold Coast the Sunshine Coast hinterland, up here in Queensland, and there's a granny flat. And if you'd like to move home and stay with us, you could um, you could write." Uh, so within a month, I was back in Queensland after four years in Sydney, and I spent six months there writing everything I wrote short stories and plays and screenplays and novels and poetry and I wrote it all very very badly um, but I <laughs> but I knew enough to know that it was bad uh, so I, I went and started a um, graduate diploma uh, of creative writing at Qt um, I did that and then I did a master's research with them and then I did a PhD. And all of the time, that time, I was writing. I was writing short stories. And during that time, I produced, um, for the Masters, I did a collection called uh, Black-Winged Angels, which is now published. I did uh, the Sourdough and Other Stories Mosaic collection, which again is published and was a, a finalist for the World Fantasy Award. Um, just about everything I wrote during that period was published, so it just it kind of encouraged me. Um and I, I was working at the Queensland Writers' Centre part-time for a while and trying to write full-time. So I made my, my writing reputation as a short story writer mm-hmm. and then I had the um, <clears throat> the interesting journey of trying to write a novel after that because, you know, I'm, I'm, I am quite good with short stories um, and I know the shape and I know what to do with them and uh, there were just so many words in a novel. It was... <laughs> distressing um, Oh so friends sort of saying "Right, yes just make it longer longer i'm like but i've got my whole point of my life is to take words out um so i've sort of finally after quite a long period of time got uh vigil into shape and had a meeting with joe fletcher books uh, joe fletcher of joe fletcher books um when i was in london in 2012 um and uh she bought that book, she bought a three-book deal. So that was 2016 that Vigil came out, um, 2017 was Corpse Light and 2018 was Restoration. So that's, that's sort of I started writing seriously in 2004, uh, first novel in 2016, fourth novel this year. Um, so if anyone's sort of looking for a timeline, that's that was my particular one.
1: Okay. Okay.
3: Uh, and every writer is going to be different. That's the other thing. <laughs> yes,
1: true, isn't it? All right, so let's just wind back a little bit here. Um, you've, I'm interested in this, you know, your discussion about short stories there because you have created, you know, 10 short story collections. Mm. What, what is it you think that draws you to short stories as a creative form? Um,
3: well, partially there's the very practical aspect of it's something you can see that's finished. Mm. <laughs> And I think I think the brain needs that little hit of achievement. Um, uh, structurally, I I like that I have kind of guideposts so that i i I can write I can write towards. Um, and I just I just like creating that perfect facet of a gem because you're not you're not showing everyone everything as you are with generally with a novel. You're you're just showing this moment. In time, where someone's life um, breaks, generally irretrievably. You know, you can't you can't put your life back together after the the inciting incident of the short story. Um, so it's it's kind of I love the psychological examination of how someone copes or does not cope with that, and how they hopefully build themselves up to a point by the end where they they have reshaped their world and their life so they can go on after that thing, um, whatever has happened to them. I think I just, I, you know, I'm just a very, you know, insane writer god who likes
1: messing with, with people's lives. Um, <laughs> so what do you think are the keys to creating a great short story? Do you have to want to be that writer god that messes with people's lives? Oh, uh,
3: I think... Um, partially you need to understand character because if you, have, if you know what your character wants, then you've got your plot because you know what they'll do to get the object of desire um, on what wonderful things and what terrible things and that's, that's what you can play with. And I think readers, um, <clears throat> for, the, for the most part, they want to see how people jump under adversity, what they, you know, what they do, mm. how they manage. Um, because I think we, you know, we like taking um, those little pieces of kind of filtered life that, that fiction is and looking at them because they will enjoy them but they really don't have a huge impact on our lives generally. Mm. Um, it's 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 life at a remove so it's kind of... Well, yes, I can. I can read this tremendous, distressing story, and then I can close the cover, um, and I'll. I can walk away. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, so I think <clears throat> you you really need to, as a writer, you really need to love characters and the psychology of them. Uh, and the other thing is to uh, to be able to finish something um, to sort of say, well, my first draft is brain vomit, and I cannot spend time making every sentence perfect at this stage because I will never finish. And this is what I, you know, I talk a lot to students about who were sort of saying, but it's, it's taking so long and I've got, you know, I've been writing for 20 years and I have 40,000 unfinished manuscripts. Mm. You, you just need to apply the bum, bum glue, sit to, at the chair and just finish it and don't worry about how ugly it is you know, um, at the end because that's why we have editing, you know. It's basically the plastic surgery of literature. Um, just <laughs> your, um, your first draft will never be your last draft. Um, so I think those are my main things about, you know, just that loving character and also determination to finish something. Um, anything else can sort of, you know, any other skill can sort of come in afterwards.
1: How do you know an idea is a short story and not a novel, or conversely, a novel and not a short story? Oh, um, I don't. I
3: <laughs> oh, good. I, yeah, that's, that's not helpful at all. Um, I will start writing, um, and if I if I suddenly sort of sit up and I have eight thousand words and um, it doesn't feel like um, it doesn't feel like there's an end in sight somewhere. Uh, I will start to think that it might actually be a novella um, rather than a novel so I will start to <clears throat> look at a structure you know what what might the shape of this story be if I if I make it 20 30, 40,000 words long um, um, and then I will I will start writing and if it's if it wants to be written in that way then I will be able to write it. Um, if it resists, then I'll sort of say actually maybe it's shorter and then I will go back and look at the story and figure out what I can reasonably amputate from the body of the story
1: um, <laughs> to make it's Still it, sounding to make, very visceral. <laughs> I know, I
3: know. It's, it's quite terrible. Um, but years ago I, I listened to um, Kate, the magnificent Kate Kennedy um, giving a – a short story workshop, and she gave me one of the most useful tips that I've ever heard, which is the story morgue. Um, So whenever you delete something from a short story or a novel, a scene, a character, don't just delete them. Don't throw them away. Put them into a file, and she calls hers the story morgue. Um, (laughs) um, And because at some point you might be looking for a character for another uh, another story somewhere down the track where you might be looking for an incident or a scene and you have these already written words that you can uh, reshape and edit and maybe they fit somewhere else. Um, so I've always thought that was the most useful piece of information. Don't, don't throw away the words because they might be able to be repurposed over the years.
1: So... <laughs> I'm not getting a sense here and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not getting a sense here of you being a spreadsheet planner at all. <laughs> Would that be correct?
3: Um, no, I actually am. Really? I I yeah, I am. It's it sounds weird, I know. Um I do I do tend to I'm I'm kind of a weird mix of chaos in a cup, but the cup is very important because that's, you know, the um that's the structure that holds the nest together. <laughs>
1: I really love that image actually. I think that pretty much sums me up. <laughs>
3: well, because you know, everyone's everyone's like, Oh, are you a pantser or are you a plotter? And I'm I sort of say, Well I'm I'm somewhere in the middle and I can as long as I've got, you know, it's it's like a cat in a box, you know, as long as I've got those safe, strong walls around me, then I can I can mess around in the middle. Um so I I do use uh, spreadsheets when I'm plotting novels. Mm. Uh, when I'm doing short stories, it tends to be a you know a scrappy piece of paper or a um, or a, a sketchbook, um, and I'll you know scribble a lot of stuff out. Um, but I I am a writer who tends toward being a bit more fluid. Um, with uh, plot and characters and and it comes down very much to like my my instinct of what feels right to me with the short story Um, and then I send it off to beta readers and find out who disagrees.
1: Do you um, set out, like you, you've got 10 collections of short stories, do you set out to create a collection of stories around a theme, for instance, or does a collection emerge over time with many stories discarded along the way?
3: Um, it's, it's, I've sort of got two kinds of collections, and the one kind is what I call the mosaic novels, and they're the ones set in the sourdough world, and that's the sourdough and other stories the Bitterwood Bible and um, the latest one the tallow wife and other tales um, and they're kind of interlinked short story collections and I am specifically writing them around a series of characters um, they they're always fairy tale themed they're quite gothic and dark in nature it's please do not give these to your children i will not <laughs> therapy bills kind of things. Um, the other short stories are the ones that are, um, you know, sort of accumulated because I've been publishing short stories in a variety of different markets and anthologies. Um, so I'll, I'll sort of get to a point where I go, um, oh, oh, you know, there's, there's 25, you know, published short stories already out there. They're out of their exclusivity period. Um maybe it's time to sort of pull some together um and I haven't I haven't really ever pulled them together with a you know or it's going to be on the the theme of you know, shoes evil shoes or something like that in <laughs> the record I haven't written a story about evil shoes I feel like there just, needs, to be, know, there needs to be a collection of short
1: stories <laughs> around evil shoes I'm actually I'm seeing that right now
3: absolutely now you've got me thinking you shouldn't have done that <laughs>
1: I'm going to take full credit when yeah, your next yes, collection is all about right. evil shoes. <laughs> but so what?
3: What I do is I will. look at. Uh, the the stories that I feel will sit together well. Um, there are I, I suppose because I. I always have themes that I return to in my writing and those are generally uh, home and family, what it's like when you lose it, what it's like when you recreate either of those things for yourself again, um, the, the position of women in society. So those are just naturally my themes when I, I write. Um, so I think I, I just sort of you know sit together and, and a bit like, well, again, you know, making a mosaic puzzle, pulling together disparate pieces of glass and tile and stone and rock and saying, oh, well, I like the colour of that one or I like the shape and pulling them all together and and, um, hoping that readers will enjoy that as well. Mm. Um, Trying not to have too many of the same sort of stories in there. Um, I, I... was um, helping a friend pull together one of her collections recently, and at the start she had two stories where where the dog dies, and I just said no, no, you cannot have that much dog death concentrated no. in the one place. No. Have, have have one dog death at the start and one at the end. <laughs> oh gosh,
2: so, <laughs> on the poor dogs. The
3: so. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but they were actually very beautiful, sad stories. So um, it wasn't, you know, just the random killing of poor old papas. Um but again, you know, it's it's about sort of thinking what what fits best next to this one. Um And, you know, there's the traditional sort of shaping wisdom, which is start out with your strongest story first, put your longest story in the middle, Mm. and then put your second strongest story at the end. Um, So there's those sort of impacts for the reader. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of what I do.
1: (laughs) Sorry. Chaos in a cup. Right there. it It always sounds like soup
3: basically,
1: you know, I making a really messy soup. Oh, great. All right, so tell us about your new novel, All the Murmuring Bones. Give us the elevator pitch.
3: The elevator pitch is Mirren O'Malley uh, has been brought up in this house, an old rich house which is crumbling by her grandparents, and as far as she knows, her parents died a long time ago. Uh, but then when her grandfather dies, because apparently there's a lot of death in my stories, Ooh. um, <laughs> Her grandmother tries to marry her off to a rich cousin and Mirren, who's generally been, you know, obedient mainly because it's kept her life comfortable, suddenly goes, um, no, here is the line in the sand. <laughs> mm. <laughs> this isn't happening. And then she finds out that her parents may not be dead. Mm. Uh, mm. So that kind of starts her journey um along the road to a place called Blackwater, um, which is another grand house. So it's it's sort of got elements. It's got a lot of fairy tale. There are nested fairy tales in amongst the stories uh, because Mirren's told these tales as a child. So she, to a certain extent, has to use them to help herself survive in this world in which there is a lot of magic um, and a lot of danger. Um, so it's got, you know, elements of a heist movie, it's got fairy it's got gothic houses, um, you know, Wicked Uncles, um, yeah, all sorts of things in there. Um,
1: so it's described as a gothic fantasy. Can you, yes. like, what does that mean? And did you know that that's what you were writing? <laughs> did you know I, that's that? Did you know, know Angela? <laughs> or
3: oh, did, well, did you just find it was suddenly there in that Oh um, Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, Gothic is is that sort of tradition, that Victorian tradition of um, generally young women uh, Jane Airing around the place, you know, <laughs> or no, no no known family and just or suddenly finding family and um, going to dark houses where there are lots of doors and um, threatening male relatives in general. Um, so again, you know, uh, Jane Eyre, uh, Wuthering Heights is kind of a Gothic. You know, I hesitate to say romance because it's, really it's, <laughs> it's horror, horror.
1: It's horror.
3: A lot of a lot of darkness and a lot of secrets that do, um, you know, eventually come out to light. Um, and the fantasy element is is the fairy tale uh, because there are there's magic in this world that everyone just takes for granted and no one blinks an eye at. Um, but there are also still witches who are um, hunted by the church. Um, there are those those elements there um, and it does, you know, it does examine the position of women in society through a, a gothic lens um, but I don't think that's anything that would chase male readers away. Um, I've, I've had a lot of male readers sort of going, oh, my God, I love it. You know?
1: <laughs> so, so, so it seems to work for, for a lot of people. So having read the book, I would say that there is a sense of disquiet is probably the word that Mm -hmm. I couldn't think of a better word. It was unsettling um, right from the beginning, like from the opening paragraphs, which is obviously, you know, harking back to that Gothic, you know, tradition. Are you aware of like when you're writing the story, was it are you aware of wanting to unsettle the reader from the beginning and what are some of the techniques that you're using to do that? Um,
3: I, I am aware of wanting to unsettle a reader from the beginning because, you know, I, I, I write in speculative fiction and my work is generally dark fantasy mm. or horror. Um, I think the main technique that I go with is, is settling the reader in at first with a sense that things might be a bit normal, mm. um, which is, you know, it's something that Neil Gaiman does really well and Kelly Link does really well, um. And it's it's just showing someone things that they might expect to see, get them settled, and then gradually let a little bit of strangeness in. Uh, so with with all the memory bones, it, it's the first chapter is a long descriptive setup piece, which I generally wouldn't do, but I'm actually really proud of it.
1: <laughs> it's actually I like, <laughs> on it, I wanted to that's I've actually got a specific questions about that because it is an unusual opening. Um, hmm. but it's incredibly successful. Like I just thought it was brilliant. I, I really was like, what's she doing here, you know? Like we're, we're doing a whole lot of, you know, set up, set up, set up, set up and this should not be working, but, but it is, you know? Yeah. And I, yeah, anyway, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, yes, sorry, what you were saying? Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so here's this grand house and here are these people who've been very rich for a long time, um, except – here's the reason, you know, here's what's happening now. You know, the family is starting to fail. um, And then you sort of refer to the deal that's done with the sea. Um, Oh, oh, and those who rule beneath. Oh, oh, okay, so it's not a normal story. You're talking about those who rule beneath the sea. Who is this? What happens? What does this family do? And why are they no longer in favour? What have they stopped doing? What's, you know, with their part of this bargain? What's gone wrong, and I I do feel like that that chapter is is kind of my labyrinth. It it feels like starts out walking like a, a you know just a stroll in the garden, mm. and then you've gotten lost in the maze somewhere. Mm. Um, and then I think when you feed out at the end of the chapter, and it sort of says you know but there's this old house and there's this an old woman with plans um, and a young woman who doesn't know what's coming kind <laughs> of a, a vibe. Then it feeds out into um, into the rest of the novel, and I think uh, that it it helps make people hungry yeah. to find out.
1: Yes, um, there's so many questions raised <laughs> by by the the building of that atmosphere that you kind <laughs> of want to read on to find out what is going on here. Um, there's a very distinctive voice as well. Did you did that come to you straight away, or is that something that's developed through a drafting process?
3: No, I um I always know my voice because it. I, I guess I always sort of hear how the character talks in my head, and as soon as I uh, start writing, that comes through. Um, and I don't think you know, in it, it could happen. It could still happen, but I don't think that in uh, 16 years of writing, I've ever thought actually, no, the voice is wrong here. Mm. Um, I've, I've always known who my uh, my narrator is and how they speak and how they speak to the world um, and I, that might be partially because I always think uh, that my characters have a, a bit of me in them no matter you know whether they're good characters or bad characters uh, when I'm writing I as a writer I give myself permission to um, to feel like I could do the worst things that these characters will do without conscience, mm. uh, which doesn't mean I'm going to go and do these terrible things, but it means that there's there's not a voice in my head sort of going, oh, no,
1: don't do that. That's terrible. You know? um, <laughs> and so if, and it, if you're listening, this gothic listening. Spook- spookiness is actually all through the novel and yes. what you're hearing is Angela's voice as she <laughs> <tells it. laughs> it's funny because um,
3: Stephen Jones, who's a UK editor, a uh, horror editor, has always said to me, you know, when I read one of your stories, I feel like you're sitting there telling it to me.
1: Mm. You know? <laughs> well, now that I'm speaking to you, I totally agree with him because I was reading that and now I'm talking to you and I'm feeling like I'm being sucked into a world that maybe I don't <laughs> want to go to. Anyway, um, so there's actually a beautiful economy to your writing, like the, particularly, that, particularly that opening chapter where you just create this like really vivid picture of of the world but it's not you know layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of description 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 it's just kind of these well-placed details that feel like they just build and build with the atmosphere and I'm wondering if that comes alongside your background in short stories where there's sort of like not a word out of place it all just feels like it's essential do you think that that's a short story thing? I
3: think I think it is because that's you know that's the the whole thing with the short story is that it 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 needs to be the right words so mm. if you're you know if you're describing the cushion um you you can't do so in three paragraphs in a short story. You need to sort of say there's, there's, a, there's a blue cushion or there's a, a worn blue cushion, you know, um, that's been used a lot. So perhaps you will later connect that with a child who would sleep on that cushion in the house, something like that. So you're, you're, you're giving those details, but then you can make them relevant by attaching them to a character uh, a character's action, a character's habit, uh, that kind of thing. so mm. it sort of weaves it um, it weaves it more intricately into the story and also your understanding of the character. Um, so yeah, again it's it's always about that economy of words and it's always about finding the right description um, that I'm giving someone a fairly sharp image. Mm. Uh, for their reading, so details like that, setting—it's one of you know my students will always go, oh my god, she's going on about setting again. Uh, <laughs> but, it's, but it's it's really important, and I, I think if you read the opening of All Memory Bones and also uh, another novella I wrote called um, Of Sorrow and Such, which I often use to teach with, you can see what I'm what I'm talking about, what I'm banging on about about the right detail in the right place um and making it meaningful uh because that just enriches your your reader's experience
1: the other aspect i found really interesting were those stories within a story that you that you referenced earlier that kind of fairy tale aspect and creating your world's mythology like you're creating the whole mythology for the world is that an aspect of fantasy that you love and how much organization does it take to actually keep track of all that uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, just from a, yes. I'm just thinking from sheerly from a, well, I, I feel like your background in university admin is coming in here. <laughs> it is, it is.
3: All of the nerdy Production. stuff that I, you know, that made me a good administrator. Um, I, I keep notes like, you know, as I said, I do use, you know, a spreadsheet. And so I've, I've got a spreadsheet that has, you know, this is the fairy tale that I want to use in here. Um, and a, a, a couple of them are ones that I had written previously um, and that had been published elsewhere. But the effect that I wanted was that these stories that I've been telling for a long time, um, I wanted them to feel truly like the fairy tales of the main character's childhood. Mm. Um, so... Uh, You know, some of the there's one um, about selkies, and it's it's 730 words, and it's actually the one that I read at the launch the other week, Um, and I also use it to teach short story because the structure of it is (laughs) is is perfect. Oh, look at you! (laughs) you Hello. Oh, I don't do this too often, but this is the one. You know, this is the one that where I can I can show students where all the beats. Are, and mm. I can show them the bones and I can show them um, you know, how thin the skin is over the top, but they sort of go, oh, yes, I understand that, mm. you know, because it is, it's is—it's so short and, and taut. Um, so some of them were, were already written. Some of them I then sort of rewrote. So it was a, a telling voice. Um and then the the last one, the the really big one that sort of does a reveal about a lot of the O'Malley history, that was all written new and and fresh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I do have to keep lists of of where each one is and what it tells mm-hmm. and what it does in that part of the story. There's uh there were a couple that didn't make the cut that my editor at Titan read, and said, "Oh, they're beautiful, but they don't really fit, and they kind of repeat something else." And so, you know, I did the I did the professional writer thing of sulking on the yes. the couch for a while, and
1: then you <laughs> and, then, and then you deleted then, them because
3: that's what that's we do, <laughs> and then admitted you admitted she was right, um, and uh, and deleted them and. Re- Place them with something else, or didn't replace them, and thought, you know, actually she's right because this could be more of the, the like the present narrative here, mm. just carrying the story along. Um, because those stories have a, a few different functions, and one of them is to comfort Mirren. You know, she tells herself these stories when she's afraid and alone, um, and she also. Tells him to remind herself about the kinds of magic in the world, because they also have solutions in them. These stories, wow. um, so okay. yeah, it's all
1: very complicated,
3: isn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, well, I, I always think it's very simple, but when I'm at Wright Club and I'm talking to my friend Pete, and I start trying to try and talk a, you know, a plot out to him that I'm trying to figure out. Um, and of course, as you would know, as a writer, most of the time the other person doesn't say anything except, "Do you want another coffee?" And <laughs> exactly, he in and go, "Of course, yeah." You just keep um, talking to yourself till you get to the response you want, <laughs> and that's it. And he just drinks another coffee, and so it's, yeah. you know, and he says, "It's not actually that simple, you know." <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, you're right. I've just listened to myself talk, talk, you know, the way through four different family trees and, you know, all of these historical, you know, in my world, you know, offences committed by one family against the other and these revenges that echo for generations. So it's probably not... As simple as
1: I keep As you think it is. Yes. Just out of interest, what do you think it is that draws you to that darker side of fantasy? You know, because fantasy as a genre is hugely broad and comes in a whole range of different, you know, <laughs> guises from dragons and swords and sandals to kind of spooky stuff like you, right? Um, yeah. What is it that draws you to that, do you think? Um, I I always,
3: you know, that, like most of us, I, I blame my mum okay. and I say it was it was fairy tales and that's sort the of thing. They're the first that's, you know, the fairy tale, the folk tale, that's sort of our original fantasy story. And they're also our original horror stories. Mm. Um if you if you think about fairy tales before they got Disney fied and also before they got, you know, uh, sanitized by the brothers Grimm and by uh, Charles Perrault. um they were very gritty yeah. um, and, I do, you know, the, the the original Little Red Riding was my favourite that I sort of always bang on about. Um, before there was a red cap, before there was a woodsman, before, you know, she had to be rescued um, and she was a silly little girl, uh, there was a young girl, this is, is based on the Italian version, um, who went to visit her grandmother in the woods and check on her grandmother. And when she got there she found that the wolves had, Eaten grandma mm. um, and the little girl isn't stupid. She can recognise a cross dressing wolf when she sees one. Um but the wolf gets her to eat some of Grandma's flesh and drink some of Grandma's blood, um, which is gross but mm. symbolic of uh, you know, the the cycle of life. Old, you know, new taking over, old, that kind of thing. Um, and she's got to save herself. She says i've i've got to go i've got to go to the loo so i'll just do it in the bed she said no 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 i'm not going to do that i'll i'll go outside so he ties a ribbon around one of her ankles she goes outside she ties that to the cherry tree and she runs off and finds help and they come back and they kill the wolf um so she's she's saved herself she doesn't you know she doesn't need um the woodsman to come in and you know, rescue her and grandma from the belly of the wolf where they magically appear alive and not digested. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> um, so that, those were the sorts of fairy tales that my mum read to me. Were, there was always a darkness in them and, and that's, you know, I just sort of say the darkness sort of settled in me very early. So, mm.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there it is. And out it comes again. Out it comes again. <laughs> All right. So just switching gears to the lighter side of life, um, <laughs> just bringing you back from the edge. You're represented by a UK agent and your work is being published primarily by Titan Books in the UK. Have you yeah. always looked internationally to publish your work? I have. Um, because I,
3: uh, because I'm always interested in knowing everything about a business. Um, I realised pretty quickly that it's difficult for an author to make a full-time living um, as a writer in Australia. We don't have the kind of population um, that they have in the US. Mm. Um, so I – and I, I knew when I'd made this decision that, you know, it was all or nothing and I didn't want to um, – I wanted to organise my life so I could I could tell stories for a living. Um, so that was that was you know just a, a bit of advice that I had from someone along the way was um, you know look look internationally uh, because that's uh, better advances, um, greater audience for your stories, um, and just just a bit easier because I think the average income for a for a writer in australia is something like eleven thousand dollars a year and i don't think that has changed for a very long time mm. um so like most of us you know we supplement our income with uh also being freelance editors and also being teachers um and writing in a variety of different mediums i'm a uh, doing some work with uh, a screenwriter called Vicki Madden who wrote The Kettering Incident uh, that was out on Foxtel mm. a few years ago yeah. and a series called The Gloaming that was out uh, last year um, and is just um, launched in the US um, uh, two days ago actually. Mm. Okay. So, you know, so Series 1 is out there um, and she's uh, writing a script based on my novelette called Finnegan's Field. Um, so that's interesting for me is is being able to learn, mm. you know, something new uh, and to sort of um, stretch my wings. Uh, but, yeah, but I also, I always did think, you know, I, I wanted this to be an international career. Um,
1: yeah. So how do you promote your work when you're based in Australia and you have an international audience? Well, hopefully you finish getting on podcasts like this. Um. (laughs) Hello to all our international Uh, listeners.
3: (laughs) Um, I have my website, I have my social media, I have my Instagram account, um, which is mostly populated by my housemates' dogs. They're, they're not my dogs. They're kind of me adjacent, but they think they own me. Um, <laughs> but they, they feature quite heavily there. Um, a, yeah, a variety of podcasts doing uh, blog posts for um for the people who are hosting blog tours at the moment, there's a two-week blog tour um, in the UK uh, and the US um, uh, promoting yep. you know, promoting all the murmuring bones, which is you know reviews of the book and a couple of them I have done interviews with as well. Um, yeah, so the usual yeah. kind of thing and just and just you know. <laughs> Uh, depending on the kindness of strangers, to retweet and reblog and repost and uh, write reviews of your book um, on Amazon and the like, and just uh, keep it out there and to let people know about it.
1: All right, so um, you are a, a presenter and teacher at the Australian Writers Centre. As a teacher of creative writing, what are some of the mistakes that you see? over and over with beginner writers because I also teach with the Australian Writers' Centre and I know that there's, you know, like it's it's almost like you can, you, you know what you're going to see with each sort of intake of students, mm. don't you? Like what sorts of things are you seeing over and over?
3: Yeah, um, and as, as I said, do you, you know, as long as I've been doing this and teaching for a variety of places, I have I have not yet seen a new problem. Um, so it's the same thing. Um the biggest things I get are head hopping because yeah. uh, the because students don't understand point of view. Right.
1: Um, so can you just explain is... what head hopping is, just for anyone who's maybe yeah. not aware of the term?
3: Yeah, head hopping is because you you have you have three basic narrative modes. There are other ones, but I'm just going to go with first person, second person, and third person. Uh-huh. Um, and if you're telling a first, first person story. You can only tell it from the point of view of uh, the protagonist who is doing the action. And that's the I, you know, the person mm-hmm. saying, I did this, I did that. Um, and I'm uh, shout out to Pamela Freeman, um, also at AWC and our queen of, of, <laughs> of classes and, and courses. Um, she, her best example, which I love, is um, it's like being a ghost. If you're the ghost above everybody, um, and looking down, you know, what everyone's doing and thinking. Uh, so that's the the third person, omniscient, yeah. you know everything. Uh, if you drop into a character, then you are limited and all you can know and see and tell um, the, the reader are what this single character knows. Mm. Um, so the head-hopping comes when people don't, know what they're doing. They're they're telling an eye story, but then they suddenly have, you know, Bob, the other character, the secondary character, we know exactly what he says and thinks, which you can't do. (laughs) It's very confusing for readers. (laughs) It's very confusing. Um, And the other thing is, as I was saying before, a lack of setting detail, which leads uh, to your your scene feeling like a white room Mm -hmm. you don't know where your characters are sitting or they're standing is someone moving around um you don't know where they are in time or place you don't know if they're in you know 15th century scotland or um victorian era london you don't know if they're in a palace or a dungeon um because the the writer can see very clearly in their head where everyone is um but they don't realize that they haven't put that on the page it's not on the page it's not on the page, i say that no. so
1: often it's, it's not, on the, not on the page i know that you it's know exactly <laughs> what you're writing about but i can't see it because it's not on the page no? all right no. so um we're going to finish up thank you so much for that we're going to finish up Uh, today with of course our top three tips for writers and I am very much looking forward to hearing Angela Slater what your top three tips for writers are
3: my top three tips are read your work out loud Mm -hmm. (laughs) that will help you pick up spelling mistakes and it will also let you know if your sentences are too long because you'll be breathless at the end of it um Formatting, get your formatting right. Uh, there is a standard formatting that is expected if you are sending work out to publishers. So don't do your weird, you know, personalised 14-point comic songs. <laughs> I knew
1: you were going to say that. What I knew you were going to say
3: comic songs. <laughs> you know, with, with single spacing, uh, just don't do it and no indents you know don't do it go out and find it (laughs) yeah awc has um has an example and you can also google it if you go to william shun because he has a standard manuscript formatting that you can easily find Mm -hmm. um and network so go along to conferences when, you know, when we can go without dying, um, go to conferences, listen to podcasts, meet other writers, talk to other writers because this is and can be a very lonely profession. Mm. We, you know, you unless you're writing with someone, um, collaborating, you're, you're doing it on your own. Um, so make sure you get out occasionally and see the people and talk to the people. Um Meet if you can. Meet publishers and agents at festivals, um, because at some point you're you going to want to be sending your work out. Um, so there's a there is a, you know there is a network out there. You just have to get out and meet people and say hello. And I know it's really difficult when we're all terrible terrible introverts, um, but this is kind of part of
1: the business certainly is. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely fascinating. I'm hoping our listeners have all been drawn into your spooky storytelling voice, which they can read more about in all the murmuring bones. And uh, best of luck with the novel uh, here in Australia and internationally, of course. Thanks very much, Angela.
3: Thank you so much, Alison.
0: There we go, Angela Slatter. Always great to chat to Angela and her writing is so very beautiful, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah. And great like just a good conversation. Like she's a mm. she's just like as, you know, I have to say, the a, as, you know, one of the members of the team AWC presenting team, mm. I um such a great bunch of people. Like it's it's always a pleasure to talk about yes. anything with them. They're a brilliant, yeah. brilliant bunch. So um yeah, it was real very, very enjoyable.
0: Absolutely. All right, so what are you doing in the coming week, Al? Because you've already done your final briefread of the Wolf's How. Oh have you like got nothing to do now? (laughs) Oh seriously?
1: I can't believe you just said that to me. Is that is that even possible for me to have nothing to do? No, I'll be recording um another episode of the Your Kids Next Read podcast. I will be I've started writing a um a picture book. And uh, the other joy about being a member of the AWC presenting team is that you get access to friends like Kathy Tasker, mm. who um, is just so generous and wonderful yes. with her advice and her thoughts. Um, and I kind of contacted her and went, you know, in desperation, went, I've got this great idea and I just don't know what to do with it. And of mm. course, within about four and a half seconds, she said, I reckon you should try this. And I went, "Right." Oh. That's exactly what I need to do. So I'm going to be working on that, and I'm very much looking forward to it. In the and I'm also editing another middle grade thing that I'm uh, I'm doing a, a second no I think it's about my third draft of that I'm working on that, and um, yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's Brilliant. enough to be getting on with, isn't it? What about I you? So. Now that you've oh, got your broadband, oh, you've been unstoppable.
0: Wow. What are you going to do? Unstoppable. I need to like have a bex and a lie down. Because it was such a traumatic experience because... Like, I love that phrase. <laughs> yes. I mean, has
1: anyone had a Bex? Has anyone had a Bex in 40 years? They have not. So. And yet we're all still having a Bex in a lineup. But, I mean, whoever came up with that as yes. an advertising phrase, it was a genius.
0: Sorry, well, continue. Be- because in the midst of my no internet, I had to deliver a major, major project, a content writing project for a client. And so I had to do that in the midst of no internet. And let me assure you that is no, you know, that's not fun. There's no fun. It's no fun. So I'm going to have a little break and watch the Netflix that I couldn't watch um, (laughs) because I had to just, you know, getting that project, which was due, um, you know, a few days ago, um, was was very difficult but I got there but I think I got many gray hairs as a result anyway
1: well next time we can talk about what you what what are you watching on what are you looking forward to watching on Netflix I mean let's just do it quickly now
0: oh goodness me what am I looking forward to oh that's I I don't know I'm sort of watching oh yes I do know so she does know Oh, my God, it's great. So it's not on Netflix. It's actually um, on Apple TV, and mm-hmm. it's called Mythic Quest. Now, for those of you, it sounds ridiculous, but um, for those of you who may remember the comedy, it was excellent, um, Silicon Valley, which kind of sent up, yes. it was a send-up of, well, Silicon Valley. Well, Mythic mm. Quest is a similar, you know, of a similar oeuvre, and um it's sen- it's a send up of the gaming industry which i have absolutely zero interest in but it is very oh. well done and one of the main yeah. characters is this australian girl who plays this coda, who i don't think many of people have heard of in australia but she's killing it in this show and i i, I highly recommend it mythic quest okay would well, you know okay. what do you want to know what i've been watching just tell in me another tell one me, of my
1: me. random down the down the rabbit hole segues Mm -hmm. I'm watching a documentary series on Netflix called Sunderland Till I Die, which is the inner workings of a, in the first season, um, second division Northern England football (laughs) team, which has been, they've just dropped from Premier League into second division, like they've been relegated, and it's about the inner workings of how that works and the effect of it on the town because it's, of course... It's the heartbeat of the town. If the team does well, then everybody's happy. If the team's not doing well, then the whole place is just falling in a heap and it's fascinating. So I'm now into Season 2 of Sunderland Until I Die and it's uh, proving to be quite the ride. So if you've got a vague interest in ball sports, because apparently that's (laughs) my thing, um, it's really interesting. And, again, of course, it it comes back to the people. It's like the F1 series. I don't know anything about Formula One racing or cars, mm. but mm. the characters in that series mm. are brilliant. It's brilliant. I loved it. I've watched What's three seasons of called? F1. F1. It's, it's just called F1. It's oh, called F1. Okay. Have you not seen that one either? No. You no. can tell I live in a house of boys, can't you? Yeah. Like, listen, listen to my watching. <laughs> my viewing habits, uh, honestly, um, but it's fascinating and I have I have developed. It's been a very interesting journey for me. With the F1, I have developed a major interest in the personalities of it wow
0: hmm. okay all right so there I you go look forward to
1: hearing ball the sports updates. and car racing apparently are my current things
0: <laughs> and gaming
1: <laughs> and gaming for you look at us right. turned into teenage boys <laughs> it's ridiculous
0: <laughs> all right where do we find you online al
1: Uh, you'll find me at allisontate.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at at altate a L T A I T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at AlisonTate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you?
0: You'll find me at Valerie Coo on Twitter and Instagram and over at valerieku.com. And, of course, please do join the Facebook group where you can connect with us. It's free to join. Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer Podcast Community on Facebook and uh, request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye.